Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Amos chapter number 5. And of course, on Wednesday night, we are making our way through the book of Amos, chapter by chapter. And uh, tonight, we find ourselves in chapter number 5. And chapter 5 is the longest of all the chapters in the book of Amos. It's 27 verses, which is not very long, but it's the longest of these chapters. Most of these chapters are somewhere between uh, 13 and 16 verses. And uh, of course, we are, if you've been with us, uh, you know that we are in the third of a three-sermon mini-series that Amos is preaching here in the book of Amos in uh, chapters 3, 4, and 5. We've got three separate sermons that are directed towards the children of Israel, and I've been highlighting this for you. You'll notice there in Amos chapter 5 and verse 1, the Bible says, Hear ye this word, which I take up against you, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. So we see that the the, the sermon is directed towards the house of Israel. Each one of these uh, chapters has an individual sermon, and they all begin with the words, hear this word. Of course, there in Amos 5.1, we see, hear ye this word. In Amos chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, hear this word. And in Amos chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, hear this word. So this is the third in this uh, little mini-series within uh, the book of Amos. And I want you to notice there are several things, and like I said, this is a longer chapter, but we'll try to move through it as quickly as we can. And there are kind of four different sections or headings that we can see in this chapter. I want you to notice the first one. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Of course, I always encourage you to take notes on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some things. First thing I want you to notice is the predicament of the children of Israel. In verses 1 through 3, where we see their predicament, or you might say their plight. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 1, again, the Bible says, Hear ye this word which I, this is God, of course, the Lord speaking, which I take up against you. I want you to notice what God says. He says, even a lamentation, O house of Israel. A lamentation is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. There's a book in the Bible called the Book of Lamentations, and it is written by the prophet Jeremiah, and it's written after the book of Jeremiah, which the book of Jeremiah is all about the fall of Jerusalem and the Babylonian captivity. And then the book of Lamentation is a short book in which he is grieving and expressing grief uh, over the fall of Jerusalem. Well, here the prophet Amos tells us that God is lamenting. He says, which I take up against you, even a lamentation. Now, keep your place there in Amos chapter 5. That's our text for tonight. But go, if you would, just real quickly to Ezekiel chapter 33. If you go backwards from the book of Amos, you're not too far from Ezekiel. You go past the book of Joel, past the book of Hosea, past the book of Daniel, into the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 33. And I just want you to notice, and I want to highlight that God has been preaching through the prophet Amos a, a lot of judgment and the, the entire book of Amos is a pretty negative book. And it's not till you get to just the last few verses of the last chapter that he kind of becomes positive. Uh, so if you think that I'm a negative preacher, you know, I'm just trying to be like the prophets of God. Because he gives you uh, nine chapters of just negativity and then gives you literally, I think it's like five verses of something positive. But he says, but I want you to notice here, that though Amos is preaching this judgment and preaching these negative sermons, and by the way, we often need the negative sermons. We often need to be rebuked, uh, and, and we need to hear things that we don't want to hear. The Bible says that God is lamenting. He says, hear ye this word which I take up against you, even a lamentation. And of course, God is not rejoicing over the fact that the children of Israel are in sin and that he must bring judgment upon them. And I want you to notice in Ezekiel 33 and verse 11, we have a verse that highlights that idea. The Bible says, Say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, because of course God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. God says, I don't take any pleasure in bringing uh, destruction and bringing wrath and bringing judgment. Our God says, I will bring destruction. I will bring wrath. I will bring judgment because God is a God of holiness. Today in our American Christian culture, people like to highlight the fact that God is love and God is love, absolutely. But just as much as God is love, God is just. 
Just as much as God is mercy, God is holy. And God will bring judgment. But he says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 11. But that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from your evil way, for why will ye die? And notice again, just like Amos, O house of Israel. So I want you to notice that God is not happy about this. He's not rejoicing about the fact that these people are going to have to bring, uh, have punishment brought upon them. Go back to Amos chapter 5. Notice verse 2. Amos chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, The virgin of Israel is fallen. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none, there is none to raise her up. I want you just to notice here that Amos is kind of painting this picture about the nation of Israel, and he is painting a picture of them as a helpless young virgin with no one to help her. He is not painting the picture of them as a courageous young soldier, but as a helpless young virgin. And the idea of her being a virgin would give us this idea that it's a, it's a young girl. And this is how God looks at the nation of Israel this time. He says, the virgin of Israel has fallen. He looks at them as a, as a young girl that has fallen and she shall no more rise, meaning she's, she's been uh, uh, attacked. She's been uh, beat down. She's, she's been attacked, and she didn't just fall, but she's been made to fall. She shall no more rise. She is forsaken upon her land. There is none to raise her up. This is the picture that Amos is painting of the nation of Israel. The fact that they're, and, 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 and he's saying, you, your entire nation, by the time God's done with it, it's going to be as though a, a young girl. He said, there is no courage. There is no young men. There are no fighting men. Notice there in verse 3, he says, for thus saith the Lord God. And this is what he's talking about, their helplessness. He says, the city that went out by a thousand shall leave an hundred. And that which went forth by an hundred shall leave ten to the house of Israel. And what he's speaking about is he's speaking about the plight or the predicament of the children of Israel. And he's talking about the fact that they're not as strong as they once were. That they don't have the blessing of God upon their lives and upon their nation like they once were. And he says the city that used to be able to produce a thousand soldiers to defend it. He said the city that went out by a thousand shall leave and hundred. He said, you might go out a thousand, but you're going to come back a hundred. You might go forth a hundred, but you'll come back as ten. He says, you do not and will not have the continued blessing and help of God. You're there in Amos chapter 5. Keep your place there. Go to Leviticus 26 if you would. Leviticus towards the beginning of the Old Testament. You have the books of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And I want you to remember that this is a mini-series that Amos is preaching uh, through these chapters, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, and they're all connected together. If you remember last week, we saw the fact that God said, and the way that Amos put it in the previous chapter was that God chooses where it rains. That God chooses to allow rain to come upon one city and allows rain to not fall upon another city. And the idea was this, that it is God who chooses who to bless. It is God who chooses who to help. And the idea that Amos is showing here is that God can help you or God can hurt you. God can be for you or God can be against you. And the fact that he's telling the uh, nation of Israel that they're going to go out a thousand and leave a hundred or go forth in hundred and leave and leave ten is actually a, a little bit of a reference back to the book of Leviticus. I want you to notice it in Leviticus 26. And I don't have time to go through the entire passage in Leviticus 26, but in Leviticus 26 what we have is God explaining to the nation of Israel the covenant that he made with them. The covenant that he made with them, with Moses on Mount Sinai, and this was not a covenant of salvation, it was a covenant for the nation in which it was very much uh, uh, dependent upon them. He said, if you do certain things, then I will bless you in a certain way. And if you don't do certain things, then I will curse you. And one of the benefits that God had told them, Leviticus 26 and verse 7, he says, and ye shall chase your enemy, and they shall fall before the sword. Notice what he says in verse 8. 
and five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. I want you to notice that God said, one of the blessings that I'm going to give the nation of Israel is that I'm going to give you supernatural empowerment. He said, to the point where five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. And, and we, we have actually seen this in the Bible in other stories. If you consider the story of, uh, of Gideon, the fact that Gideon's three hundred were able to put ten thousands to flight. And we've seen it in other stories with Jonathan and his armor bearer, how they were able to go and see a a great victory done with a small number of people. And the idea is this. Today, people get this idea that, oh, we, we need to get as many people as possible. And this church building concept, this church building business of the United States of America is we need to try to get as many people into a building as possible. And if that means that we can't preach the word of God, and if that means that we cannot be specific about doctrine, and if that means that we cannot say anything as controversial, and if that means that the sermon needs to be 10 minutes long and the and it needs to be a rock concert, then that's what we need. But we need to just gather as many people as possible. Let me tell you something, that is not of God. Obviously, we want to reach as many people as possible, but we don't want to reach people at the, uh, at the expense of the Word of God and of doctrine and of what the Bible says. And sometimes people will look at a church like ours and say, yeah, well, you got a couple of hundred people there here on a Wednesday night, about 180 people on a Wednesday night, and, and what do you really think you're going to do? But listen, I would rather be a few with God than to have some huge mega church with a bunch of unsaved, drunken, fornicating People who don't even know God. Because the Bible says that five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Or, God says, Amos chapter 5, verse 3, a thousand shall leave an hundred, and an hundred shall leave ten. You say, what's the difference? The difference is gone. I'd rather have God. Look, I'd rather, I'd rather it be me and God alone than to have the rest of the world. Why? Because if God before us, who can be against us? Here Amos is speaking to these people about the fact that it's not about their might. It's not about their strength. They might think they've got a great army, but as far as God is concerned, they are like a helpless young girl in regards to defending themselves. Notice there in verse 4, we see the second section We saw first the plight of the children of Israel or the predicament of the children of Israel in verses 1 through 3. Then in verses 4 through 15, we see the proposal to Israel. I want you to notice that God makes a proposal to Israel. And I love it because I think it's the proposal that God is always putting out to his people. In verse 4, he says, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel. Notice what he says. He says, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. I just got done telling them, I, I, I'm, I'm going to destroy you, and it's not even going to be a fight. It's going to be like if you sent a bunch of young girls to fight for you. He said, I don't care if you got a 1,000 soldiers. You're going to come back. 900 of them are going to die. You're going to come back with 100. I don't care if you sent 100. Only 10 of them are going to come. And this is what God, God is explaining to them their plight, their predicament where they find themselves in. And they find themselves in a bad situation where they are fighting against God himself. But then God makes this proposal and he says, it doesn't have to be this way. He says, seek ye me and ye shall live. And here's the proposal that God makes and the proposal that I want you to remember if you ever find yourself at odds with God, being an enemy of God, you say, well, I'm saved. But you know, the Bible says that to be friends with the world is to be an enmity with God. And if you find yourself backslidden one day where it feels like God is making everything go against you and God, the judgment of God is upon your life, I want you to remember this, that you can always come back to God. He says, for thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, seek ye me and ye shall live. He says, but seek not Bethel, we'll talk about that here in a minute, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Notice verse 6, seek the Lord and ye shall live. 
It's always an option to come back to God. It's always an option to get right with God. It's always an option to seek the Lord and ye shall live. He says, lest he break out a fire in the house of Joseph and devour it, and there be none to quench it in Bethel, ye who turn judgment to wormwood and leave off righteousness in the earth. Notice verse 8. He says, seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the dark the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. And we're, we're, I'm going to come back to verse 8 towards the end of the sermon because I, I want to show you some things there. But I want you to notice that he's talking about seeking God. The Lord is his name. Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion, that turneth the shadow of death into morning, that maketh the day dark with night, that calleth the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. He's talking about the creator of God. And here's what he's saying. If God can place, because what is he saying in verse 8? There's so much right there in verse 8. I could preach a whole sermon uh, just right out of verse 8. But what is he saying when he says, Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion? Here's what he's saying. If God can place the stars in, uh, the stars in heaven, and he says, Turn it the shadow of death into mourning. That is a reference to the resurrection. If God can turn death, he says, the shadow of death, he uses the analogy of darkness with death, and turn it into mourning. What happens in the morning? The sun rises. He's saying if he can turn the shadow of death into rising, if he can turn death into rising, if he can make the day into darkness and make it the day, the, the day dark with night and call it the waters of the sea and pour them out upon the face of the earth, what is that a reference to? It's a reference to the cycles of precipitation. He's saying, look, if God can water the earth, if God can set the stars in the heaven, if God can cause the sun to rise and even cause the dead to rise, then he can help you. Notice verse 9. Verse 9 is within the context of verse 8. He says, the Lord is his name, verse 8. Then in verse 9, he says, that strengtheneth the spoiled against the strong, so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. What does that mean? Well, the spoiled is the one who's lost, the one who's weak, the one who's lost the battle. If you're spoiled, we use the word spoiled like a kid that's spoiled, but the idea of being spoiled is that you've been plundered, you've been pillaged, you've been robbed. You've lost the war and therefore they have came and they have spoiled your city. They have plundered it and pillaged and robbed. But here's what God says. God says that he can strengthen the spoiled against the strong so that the spoiled shall come against the fortress. And the whole point that Amos is making is that our goal in life should be to have God on our side. No matter what our strength is, no matter how much money we have, no matter how much physical strength you have, he says, look, if you're the spoiled, if you're the plundered, if you're the pillaged, if you're the robbed, well, God can strengthen you so that you can come against the fortress. So Amos delivers this idea that you can always come back to God. But in verse 5, he makes this point, and this is a point that people do not like to hear, and it is this. When you come back to God you must leave certain things. Notice verse 5. But seek not Bethel, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into captivity, and Bethel shall come to naught. Now keep in mind, the context is this, verse 5, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Verse 6, Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. Verse 8, Seek him that maketh, and he goes on to talk about all the things that God does. That's the context in which we find verse 5, But seek not Bethel, he says, nor enter into Gilgal, and pass not into Beersheba. Now I don't have time, the time to go back to chapter 4. I preached an entire sermon on chapter 4 last week. But if you remember, Amos has already brought up these locations. Bethel, Gilgal, and Beersheba were brought up in the previous chapter. And they were brought up in the context of these are locations that have a good heritage. Good things happen there at a time. But now, during the time of Amos, these are places of false worship. They're places of idol worship. 
And what Amos is telling the people, you can always come back to God. Now, please understand something. This is not talking about salvation. The children of Israel are already the children of God. When it comes to salvation, you don't have to give anything up. There's no sin that you need to give up in order to be saved. Salvation is faith alone. Now, obviously, you can't believe in a false God and have your trust or faith in a false religion. You do have to turn from that in order to be saved. If your faith is in, is in Allah or Hinduism, if your faith is in some, some false religion, then obviously you can't believe in that and God. It, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Amen. It's Jesus alone, period. Plus nothing, minus nothing. It's Jesus, that's it. When it comes to salvation, you don't need to quit sinning to be saved. If that were the case, no one would ever be saved because we're all sinners. However, I think what happens with a lot of Christians is that they mix these two thoughts, and I bring this up a lot because I want you to understand the difference. There is a difference between salvation and sanctification. Salvation only changes where you're going to go when you die. Salvation ends, changes the direction of whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. Sanctification has to do with now that you're saved, God wants you to draw close to Him. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants you to fellowship with Him. But listen to me, you can be sanctified and not saved. And you can be saved and not sanctified. In fact, the vast majority of saved people aren't sanctified. When it comes to salvation, you don't have to give anything up other than a false belief. Obviously, if you believe in atheism, you don't believe that there is a God, well, you have to repent of that and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that He is God. But you don't, there's no sin you got to give up to be saved. Because salvation is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. However, when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to drawing close to God, when it comes to walking with God, you don't get to just come to God and have a close relationship and friendship with God just on your own terms. God says, you can seek me, but seek not Bethel. You can come to me, but don't go into Gilgal. You can draw close to me, but don't pass by Beersheba. And here's all I'm telling you. God says, you can come to me. You can walk with me. You can talk with me. You can have a close relationship with me. But listen to me very carefully. You cannot be close to God and have your drugs. And have your drunkenness. And have your rock and roll music. And have your, your worldly filth. God says, you can come to me. You can always come back. But if you come back, you've got to leave certain things. The prodigal son didn't come back home and and brought the prostitutes with him. He didn't come back home and and bring the riotous living with him. He had to come to the end of himself. Again, we're not talking about salvation. We're talking about living for God, being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can always come back to God. But when you come back to God, you cannot seek God and Bethel. You cannot seek God and enter into Gilgal. You cannot seek God and pass into Beersheba. And then notice what he says in verse 10. I like verse 10 because Amos is a preacher, of course, and he's kind of defending himself. He says, They hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. See, I get up here and I preach, and I mention something like drugs and alcohol. And can you imagine that in a Baptist church, you could preach against things like drugs and alcohol and have people get offended at you? I mean, in a Baptist church, you can preach against marijuana and have people be like, that's offensive. I'm like, what in the world? Are you crazy? Because drugs and have people be like, I can't believe that. Were you offended in, 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 in elementary school when they brought that dare dog in and told you not to do drugs? I mean, this is where we are. In a Baptist church, you can't preach against drugs without people getting offended. And I'm supposed to be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. Amen. Drugs will destroy your life. Right. 
Drunkenness will destroy your life. Pornography will destroy you. I don't feel bad preaching against these things. But notice what the prophet says. He says, they hate him that rebuketh in the gate. They abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Often what I tell people is this, am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The Bible says faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know the truth is that it actually requires love to tell you what you don't want to hear. It'd be easy to be a Joe Lowstein and get up here and preach for five minutes after a rock concert and say nothing negative, say everything positive, say God loves you. It's okay that you're an adulterer and a drug addict and a drunkard. God doesn't mind. God doesn't care. Just make sure you put money in the offering plate. And then people are like, oh, well, God, I'm so happy. I feel so encouraged. That'd be easy. You know what's hard? is to actually love you and actually care about you and actually tell you, hey, those things are going to destroy your life. This is actually love. Some of you have never actually been loved. There is so much love coming from this pulpit, you don't know what to do with it. You've you've never felt... Because you've always surrounded yourself. You've always surrounded yourself. You ready for it? With enablers. You've always surrounded yourself with people that have your same issues, your same problems, that are going to tell you, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. I know you've been unemployed for 37 years now, but so have I, and that's fine. No, it's not, man. Get a job. And I tell you that because I love you. I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth. When you come to God, look, salvation, believe on Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification, you cannot come to God and go to Bethel. Here's how Jesus said it. You cannot serve God and mammon. Because either you will love the one and hate the other, or you will uh, choose the other and not choose God. He says, look, you've got to make a choice. That's why Elijah the prophet said, how long haunt ye between two opinions? Look, make a decision. Now, in verse 11, he says, he tells you what seeking the Lord looks like. Notice what he says. He says, for as much, therefore, as your treading is upon the poor. Remember, the theme of the book of Amos. It's a very interesting book, very peculiar than other minor prophets. The major thrust, the major theme of the book of Amos is this, that it matters how we treat other people. It matters. God cares. God looks down and he notices and he sees how you treat others. Verse 11. For as much therefore as your treading is upon the poor. Treading means to walk on or to walk all over. He said you're walking all over poor people. You're taking advantage of poor people. There used to be a phrase in this country back in revolutionary days when they they had a, 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 a flag that said don't tread on me. And this is what God is telling. He said, you're treading upon the poor. You take from him burdens of wheat. He said, you're taking advantage of the poor. You're taking burdens of wheat. You have built houses of hewn stone, but ye shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but ye shall not drink wine of them. For I know your manifold transgressions and your mighty sins. They afflict the just. They take a bribe. Remember, it's all about justice and judgment. How we treat people. They afflict the just, they take a bribe, and they turn aside the poor in the gate from their right. Poor people come to the gate to receive justice, and they say, get out of here, you're poor. They would take bribes from people. They would afflict the just, not give justice to the just. They would be a respecter of persons. And God says, I know your manifold transgression. You know that God knows? Let that sink in. Whatever you think you're getting away with, God knows. I always think it's funny when people come to church like this and I preach like this and people get all offended. I can't believe Pastor mentioned that. I do that. I watch that. I dress that way. Well, here's the thing. I'm not God. To be very honest with you, I don't care. (laughs) I mean, I care. I care about you. But that's between you and God. People think I spent all day just following church people around 
To be very honest with you, I spent all week trying to avoid as many of you as possible. And, 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 but, 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 here's, but here's the funny thing. God knows. I don't know. I don't care. But God knows what you were watching last night. God knows what you were drinking last night. God knows what you were wearing last night. Shouldn't that bother you? His eyes go to and fro in all the earth. People get embarrassed and ashamed. Well, Pastor and Mr. Ann saw me wearing. Well, God saw you wearing that before Pastor saw you. I know your manifold transgressions. Therefore, verse 13, the prudent shall keep silence in the time, for it is an evil time. Verse 14, notice what he says. It's all about how we treat each other. Notice what he says. Seek good and not evil. Look, with God, there's a choice to be made. You either seek good, and if you seek good, then you don't seek evil. You don't hurt people. You don't seek to hurt people and take advantage of people. You're not deceptive. You don't lie. You don't take advantage. You don't withhold the truth for your own benefit. Do you understand what I'm telling you? You seek good and not evil that ye may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, is this what you want? Shall be with you. Say, I want God to be with me. Okay, seek the good and not evil. That's what it says. As ye have spoken. Verse 15. Hate the evil and love the good. Years ago, about eight years ago, when we had the very first Red Hot Preaching Conference, I remember that first Red Hot Preaching Conference. We had protests and news everywhere, and we'd invited all our churches that are friends with us, and honestly, we'd, we'd never had anything like that. We never had a conference like that. The new IFB had never had a conference like that. And I didn't know if anybody was going to come. I remember, I was just talking to my wife about this recently. I remember that first Red Hot Preaching Conference, walking in, and we, in our old building, we would come in through the side, through the break room. I remember walking in through the break room, and then going from the break room into the auditorium, and I opened the door, and there was people. And I remember thinking to myself, they came! You know, and they came to this Red Hot Preaching Conference. And, uh, and we had a great conference that first year. But I remember that first year I preached a sermon on Sunday called Love Hates. And one of the verses that I used, one of the texts that I used was right here out of Amos. Chapter 5 and verse 15, when he says, hate the evil and love the good. You know, there, is a, there are two sides to love. Because we, we live in this world that has perverted love. This love is love garbage. And, and here's the truth. The Bible teaches that you cannot love everyone. You cannot love, and look, if you're, you say, well, doesn't God love everybody? God hates. I mean, here we see God is telling them hate the evil. And the truth of the matter is this. When someone says they love everything, here's what they're really telling you is they love nothing. Because there is another side to love. It is impossible to love without hating. Listen to me. People always want to tell me, oh, you're a hate preacher. Yeah, you better believe I'm a hate preacher. I already told you, I'm a love preacher. But there's another side to love, it's hate. Let me help you understand. You can't love flowers without hating weeds. And you can't love children without hating a bunch of filthy, sodomite pedophiles. Yeah, I said it. Say, oh, you, you hate pedophiles, you throw pedophiles out of the church. Yes, I do. Yes, I hate them. Yes, I hate the queer. Why? Because I love children. You can't love children and then love the people that would hurt them. That means you're insane. That means you're crazy. Yes, I'm talking to the pastors all over this country that have a bunch of sodomite, pedophile, predators teaching Sunday school class in their church. You're insane. So when you love something, it makes you hate something else. You can't have it both ways. Just why don't you just be honest? Say, oh, I looked you up and you're on that hate list. Yeah, it's because I love so much. I have so much love. I hate. Because you must hate the evil and love the good. Look, I'm just preaching the Bible to you. I don't know if you noticed, but it's in the Bible. I know that people hate them that speak uprightly. 
and that rebuke in the gate. Hate the evil and love the good. And establish judgment in the gate. Isn't that what we've been doing the last several weeks on Sunday mornings, preaching about judgment? It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. You say, why, why does Verity Baptist Church preach this way? Because it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant here in Sacramento, here in California. So yeah, I hate. How's your hate life? I don't hate anything. Coward. I don't hate anything. I don't trust you. If you don't hate anything, I don't trust you. I love everything. That means nothing. You love nothing. Look, I love my children. So I'm going to hate anyone that wants to hurt them. Anyone that wants to uh, abuse them. You say, well, why do you always bring up homosexuals as, as pedophiles? Because that's what they are. Because let me let you in on a little secret. They, they don't reproduce. Did you know that? I know our idiot society wants you to think that men can have babies and men can be women and women can be men, but it doesn't happen. Say, so why do they keep growing? Because they do not reproduce, but they do recruit. And look, all, it's, it's just now in our modern society that people have decided they got to put these blinders on and act like there's a difference between the homosexual and the pedophile. It's never been like that. Look at history. Look at ancient history. Look at Greek and Rome. It was just, no, homosexuals, bathhouses, pedophiles. Bible, homosexuals, Genesis 19. Homosexuals, Judges 19, pedophiles. I mean, it's just so obvious. And then you say, people are like, you're a hate preacher. No, I'm a love preacher. I hate the evil and I love the good. And it may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. Look at verse 16. Verses 16 and 20. We see the third section, the peril of Israel. You say, if you preach this way, you're never going to grow a church. Well, we don't have enough room anyway. <laughs> this, I'm stuck in this building for another year before this lease is up. We, we need the chair. If you can't handle the heat, get out of the kitchen. We're not playing games. You want a fun center, rock center church? We can find you one. Not hard to find. Take you outside, put a blindfold on you, spin you around a few times, and just let you go. You'll run into one. <laughs> Finding a Bible preaching church? Come on. Amen. That's hard to find. Amen. Amos 5.16. Therefore the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord of, the Lord of Israel, saith thus, we saw the predicament of Israel, verses 1 through 3. We saw the proposal to Israel, verses 4 through 15. And I want you to notice in verses 16 to 20, we see the peril of Israel. Therefore, the Lord God of hosts, the Lord saith thus, Wailing shall be in all streets, and they shall say in all the highways, Alas, alas, they shall call the husbandmen to mourning, and such as are skillful of lamentation to wailing. And all vineyards shall be wailing, for I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. I'm not, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I just want you to notice this little phrase. He says, I will pass through thee, saith the Lord. There was a time when God said, I will pass over thee when it comes to judgment. But now he says, I'm not going to pass over you like in Egypt. I'm going to pass through you, saith the Lord. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is the day of judgment. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light, as if a man did flee. Here's what, he says, here's what the day of the Lord is like. Here's what the day of judgment is like. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. <laughs> what is it? He's saying, it's like if you ran into a lion and you ran away from a lion, and then as you run from a lion, you ran into a bear. And then, and then because there's a bear, you go, into, you go into the house and you kind of put your hand up against the wall and you're like, oh, man, and then a snake bites you. So what, that's what the day of the Lord's going to be like. You say, what is it going to be like? It's, you will not be able to run from it. Remember, we talked about it last week. Prepare to meet thy God. You will not run from God's judgment. You will not run from it. You can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. 
Look at verse 20. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? Then in verse 21, we see the fourth section. We saw the predicament of Israel, verses 1 through 3, the proposal to Israel, verses 4 through 15, the peril for Israel, verses 16 through 20, and then lastly tonight, we see the opposition to Israel, verses 21 through 25. Notice what he says. This is God speaking, by the way. I hate. Oh, I thought God never hated. You must have never read the Bible. Because this is God. I hate. I despise. What do you think he's going to say? I hate, I despise your feast days, and I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard them. The peace offerings of your fat beasts. Notice what he says, verse 23. Take thou away. Now, what's he talking about? He's, to, he's talking about religious activities. God says, I hate, I despise your feast days. That's a religious activity. I will not smell in your solemn assembly. He's talking about a, ch a church service, an assembly? Though ye offer me burnt offerings, he said, I'm not going to smell it. And your meat offerings, I will not accept it. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beasts. He says, take thou away. He said, take it away. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Say, what is God talking about? Here's what he's talking about. He's talking about people that are religious, that go to church on a Sunday morning and play a part, but their heart is far from God. He says, I hate it. He says, take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vow. You know, God says, I, I hate it. I despise it. He says, it pisses me off is what he's saying. It upsets me. What? He says, when you get up and you sing, sweet hour of prayer, sweet hour of prayer. And God, God's looking at us saying, you never prayed for an hour in your life. I mean, you get up and you say, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And God says, really? I haven't seen you show up for soul winning. I haven't seen your tithe be very consistent. I've been watching you skip church. I, I, I thought you said, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. And here's what God says. Take thou away from me. Take thou away from me the noise of thy song, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. You want to sing to God, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee? Great. It's a great song. But why don't you just not sing it? You actually mean it. God says, take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy vials. Verse 24. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as the mighty streams. So what is God saying? Here's what he's saying. He said, more than your religious observances, he said, I'd rather you live a life of judgment. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as the mighty stream. Go to Matthew real quickly. We're almost done. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. Look at verse 10. He said, Pastor, I don't know. You're preaching this sermon. And how else am I supposed to preach it? It's what Amos wrote. Amen. You know, you need to just decide that you just love the Bible. You just need to decide, you know what, I love the Bible, I love what God says. Listen to me, I, I'm telling you, this is my stand. Pastor Roger, here's my stand. I love the Bible, I love all of it. Amen. Even if, you say, even the controversial stuff, especially the controversial stuff. <laughs> even all the stuff, all the mean stuff, all the negative stuff, I love it all. I, I love Genesis as much as I love John. I love all the Word of God, and you should too. Amen. Matthew 9 and verse 10, notice what he says. He says, And it came to pass, as Jesus sat at meat in the house, behold, many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his, and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why did your master with publicans and sinners? By the way, look, yes, we preach hard against sin, but we love people and we want to help them. They're not reprobates. We want to help them and want them to walk in victory with the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Pastor, you preach pretty hard against drugs and drunkenness. You know what? This church is filled with a bunch of people who used to be on drugs. Amen. And now they're not. Amen. 
You know why? Because somebody loved them enough to tell them the truth. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans and sinners? But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But they that are sick. Look at verse thirteen. But go ye and learn what meaneth, I will have mercy and not sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's what he says. He says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. It's exactly what Amos is saying in Amos chapter 5. He says, I'm tired of your stinking sacrifices. I'd rather you let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as mighty streams. He said, I hate and despise your feast days. I will not smell your burnt offerings. I will not accept them. I will not regard your peace offerings. He said, why don't you just let judgment run down as waters? And Jesus said, He said, go ye and learn what this meaneth. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Listen to me. This is why this church is filled with with people that grew up in church and have never had a drop of alcohol in their lives and people that spent years and years in prison. You say, why? Because we can all unite under the Lord Jesus Christ. But we don't get to come to Jesus and bring Bethel, and Gilgal, and Beersheba, and all that junk. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. Go back to Amos chapter 5. But let judgment run down as waters, and righteousness as mighty streams. Have you offered unto me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness forty years, O house of Israel? And then in verse 26, he ends it, but I need to spend a little bit of time on this last verse, just real quickly, if you don't mind, verse 26. But ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chayun, your images, the star of your God, which ye made to yourselves. I want to show you just real quickly in in the book of Acts, in the New Testament, if you go to Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, this passage is actually quoted in the book of Acts, and I want to just highlight something for you. And look, this is already, if you're like, ah, uh, this is pretty controversial, uh, it's about to get a little more controversial, and then this is it. Like, this is as bad as it gets, all right? <laughs> so then you're just like, it's just downhill from there. You're good to go. Acts chapter 7, verse 42. Then God turned, this is a quote from the book of Amos. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. Now remember in Amos chapter 5 and verse 8, the Bible says, Seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion. And Orion is a constellation of stars that is brought up elsewhere in the Bible. I was going to have you turn to this, but I'm I'm out of time. So I'll just give this to you. Job 9. This is the fun part. This was the nice part, but I don't have time for it. So you'll just have to get it on your own. Job 9 verses 8 through 10. Job 38. Verses 31 through 32, uh, 33 uh, are references to Orion, the constellation. The Bible says, I'll just read it for you. Job 9, 8, about God, which alone spreadeth out the heavens and treadeth upon the waves of the sea, which maketh Articus and Orion and Pleiades with the chambers of the south. So God brings up these stars always as his workmanship. And he says, I put them in heaven. I'm the creator of the stars. And what would happen is that people, just like today, there's no new thing under the sun, they would worship the creature more than the creator. They would worship the creation more than the creator. So God, in Amos 5, brings up Orion as a justification to, see how powerful I am? I put those stars there. You should worship me. But then he's bringing up the fact that they worship stars. Amos 5, 26, but ye have borne the tabernacle of your Moloch and Chayun, your images, the star of your God. In Acts, this is brought up, verse 42, then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. They're worshiping the stars. As it is written in the book of the prophets, that's Amos, O ye house of Israel, have ye offered to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of 40 years in the wilderness? Yea, he took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Ramphan, figures which he made to worship them, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. I just want you to notice that the prophet Amos, towards the end of, of the Old Testament, is bringing up the fact that the nation of Israel, the house of Israel, had adopted this star that they were worshiping, 
And then in Acts chapter 7, it's brought up again in the New Testament as though it's still current, which is just kind of interesting to me because right now, the Jewish state, which by the way, are not God's people, they have rejected Christ as their Messiah. You say, you're anti-Semitic. We're anti-Semitic because we, because we preach that you must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Look, we, we, we love the Jew. They're a sinner like anyone else. They need Jesus. But I'm not going to sit here and tell you that they're God's people because they're, they, they state, because they make the, the assumption that they are physically descendants of Abraham. The Bible says that we're not supposed to have genealogies and that. He says, he says, just the fact that you're a physical descendant of anyone doesn't mean anything. And that's a whole sermon for another day. But here's what's interesting. The Jews have a star. In the Old Testament, they had a star. In the New Testament, they have a star. And they have a star today. Let me tell you something. That star of David did not come from the Bible. You say, where did it come from? It's the star of your God, Remphan. The six-pointed Antichrist star is not of God. And look, listen to me. And what I'm about to say, some of these people get offended, but please notice something. When you come into Verity Baptist Church, notice there are no crosses anywhere. There's no stars anywhere. There's no symbolisms of our... Why? Because we serve an invisible God. Now, obviously, the cross is a picture of redemption, and we understand. I'm not against that, but I'm just telling you, be careful about having images and symbolism because these people had this star that they worship, and God said, you know what? Don't have a star you worship. Worship the God that created the stars. He said, you have borne the tabernacle of Moloch. He said, what you should have done, Amos chapter 5. Go back to Amos chapter 5, verse 8. We'll finish up. Instead of worshiping your God of the star of Moloch, you know what you should have done, he says? Verse 8, seek him that maketh the seven stars of Orion. And turneth the shadow of death into morning and maketh the day dark with night and calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He says, seek him. You know what the beautiful thing is? That you can always come back to God. Not with Bethel. Not with Beersheba. Not with Gilgal. You got to let those things go. But you can always come back to God. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for this chapter in the Bible. And Lord, obviously the truth is I don't write the Bible, I just preach it. It's your book and it's your message. And I understand that it can be offensive to people, but it's been offensive to people for years. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us as Bible-believing Christians to believe the Bible. And just say, you know what, I'm going to believe the Bible, I'm going to believe all of it. I'm going to believe it. And I'm aside with God. And if it's just God and me, that's good enough. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to realize that. Help us have the courage to stand. The world is dark. And this type of preaching, very rare. Pray you'd help us to love your word and love your people. Help us to realize that loving means we're going to have to hate some things. And I pray you'd help us take a strong stand. In the the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to give you a couple of reminders.